Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Hello, everybody. Welcome to a very special crossover edition of The Rundown with Pot Strickland. I'm your host, Schwinny Poo. We are here to recap a thrilling uh, fifth straight loss for the Knicks against um, the dynastic San Antonio Spurs. To recap this thrilling encounter, uh, I'm joined by Jeffrey Rasmussen. You may know him on Twitter as at FrankBarrett119. Jeff, how are you doing? Uh, not, not well, honestly, Schwinn. That was that was painful to watch, and it's been painful to watch this team for, you know, almost two weeks now. So, not doing great when you know this is what we do, this is what we talk about. You'd rather talk about good things. Yes, we would rather talk about good things. But before we talk about anything, got to mention a few things. The first is the Strickland has an Instagram. You should check that out. Subscribe to it at the Strick.land on Instagram. A lot of great new content we are putting out there. So please give us a follow. Help us out. Check it out. Also, if you're watching this live, or maybe even if you're watching this tomorrow, you will know that the Strickland has an Instagram. If you have not done so yet, please subscribe. Also hit like on the video. Help us get to 1,000. That would be a massive help. We also have a Patreon, which you can subscribe to. There are a number of tiers. There's a $6 tier that gets you access to Pod Strickland. This pod that I do usually every Friday with Prez and usually not as part of the rundown. Uh, you also get access to the Strickland Discord where the conversation never stops. You also get access to the Strickland mailbag that comes out every other week with Andrew Steele, a.k.a. Doug, a.k.a. the Doug Bag. There are further tiers, $9 tier that gets you access to Strick and Roll where I rant and rave about the Knicks even more. You might get some of that tonight. Uh, you also get access to wonderful weekly articles by Jack Huntley and Matthew Miranda, two of the best in the business. There are further tiers, $15 tier, $30 tier, $50 tier, and $100 tier. with a variety of additional benefits, like listening in on pod recordings, merchandise discounts, and even potentially co-hosting a podcast alongside yours truly one day, whether you choose to subscribe or not. None of this would be possible without you. Uh, so, without further ado, let's get started. The Knicks lost a fifth straight game to the San Antonio Spurs, 115-122, I believe, is the final score. Um, I, I'll... I'll let you go because there are a lot of people that seem very, very upset about this. And I am not happy about this, to be clear. Um, I can't say I'm too surprised. I'll say that. I I don't think this result should be that surprising for a variety of reasons. Um, But, Jeff, I'm curious to get your thoughts on this game and just generally why this one maybe pissed you off more than others may have. It didn't. Uh, me and you kind of see eye to eye a lot, so it doesn't surprise me that that was your reaction. Um, it's frustrating because this is a team the Knicks should beat, but this wasn't the Spurs tonight. Like the Knicks aren't—they're not a bottom three defense anymore. The stuff that they were doing when they were a bottom—you know, when they were the twenty-fourth best defense in the league—that's um, not really happening anymore. Yeah, Julius had a couple more 
blunders tonight than he's been having the last few weeks. But I'm going to give him a slight pass because of the burden him and quickly had to take offensively. <laughs> For the most part, our defense was fine, and Romeo Langford was – 11 for 15 or whatever, 12 for 16. Yeah, Ro- Romeo Langford had a night. I, and look, I know, look, some of these shots are, uh, some of this is like, it'll come across confirmation bias to me because there are people that are like, well, see, they have all these wings. They're finishing over our smaller guards. And there is some of that at play, obviously. But like, I thought Langford had a bunch of bullshit. I thought Keldon Johnson had a bunch of bullshit. And quite frankly, I thought fucking, what's his name? The rookie, Sohan. He had like th- two or three floaters that were ridiculous. Um, they they were they had a night and you know what you can go back to 2018-19 when a 17 win Knicks team led by the immaculate Dennis Smith Jr. and Kevin Knox put on a fucking show against a very good Spurs team and lit them up at the Garden. Uh, these things happen sometimes and I didn't think the defense was good. I'm a little less. I am understanding of the burden that Julius had to carry tonight offensively and. For that, I don't think it's like I'm not going to sit here and just be like kill him for his defense. But I thought his defense was pretty checked out tonight. It was really bad, and it yeah. it looks worse when quickly plays a good defensive game. Like quickly, arguably carried a bigger burden than Julius did, especially coming off 51 minutes, and his defense was good, like it always is. Yeah, and, um, and I think, and I think a thing that exacerbated all of this, all of because I, I don't know, I'm. I, I'm going to say I'll have to rewatch this, but I promise you one thing that I'm not doing over this little, like, you know, like the Christmas to New Year's stretch is like, it's the the time of the year where, in my opinion, everybody in the world should be checked the fuck out whenever the hell they're doing. Um, So I'm not going to go back and watch this game tape. But if I were, my initial inclination was that I didn't think quickly, and I didn't think anybody was necessarily on the top of their game defensively, but... I thought all of that was exacerbated by the fact that I thought Mitch was terrible tonight. And I, I know that they were, they kept hinting at it in the broadcast and Han, Han actually was hinting at it a lot more than Breen, who seemed to like be dismissive of the idea that that Dallas game might've just taken a lot out of them mentally, physically, emotionally, whatever. Um, but I just like Mitch just looked out of it, out of it entirely, the entire game. Uh, I thought defensively he was, there were so many times where he just didn't rotate over at all. Or if he did, it was so late that even if he forced a miss, Pirtle had an easy putback or somebody had an easy putback on the other end. He was just awful tonight. Um, there were there was one play where I think quickly carried it. But if you watch it, he carried it because he was waiting for like three seconds for Mitch to come up to set the fucking screen. And Mitch was just kind of like, ambling over like wouldn't and it, and it was just it, he was just didn't have it tonight i'm not i'm not gonna kill him tonight either like i just think these guys didn't have that extra zip tonight and they played against a team that played like they had a rocket up their ass um and by, by the way for the for the second straight game quickly's only turnover was just pure nonsense like he he's he's approaching point god levels of like this is the second straight game he had a crazy high usage was passing all over the place and just didn't turn it over ever. That's it's really it's it's probably one of his biggest skills or one of the, his most valuable skills is just it doesn't matter if he's playing off guard or if he's initiating the offense, you know, half the game. He doesn't turn it over. It's really it's pretty wild to watch. 
Yeah, and, and in the spirit of not killing people, I'm not really going to kill Tibbs too much for tonight either. Like, do I like the heart? Like, I don't get why Hartenstein is in over Sims. I don't understand, like, playing Hartenstein, Rose, and Fournier together as long as he did in both halves. I especially did not like leaving Rose and Fournier in after we had cut the lead to, like, whatever it was, nine or eight, and that Spurs called the timeout. Uh, it was, I think that was with, like, eight minutes left in the fourth. But, like, he, look, we can't sit here and kill him, and I am going to fucking kill him when we talk about the Dallas game, because we are going to talk about the Dallas game, unfortunately. Uh, I am going to kill him for his lack of willingness to extend the bench at all, or extend minutes to the bench at all, um, and just buy these guys some rest. But, like, I, I, I can't kill him for that tonight. And, like, we can sit here and talk about the Cam Reddish thing. I'm going to assume that some like that there's just an understanding that goes above Tibbs of, like, Maybe it's the front office. Maybe it's Cam's agent. Who the hell knows? Maybe they've just agreed, like, hey, don't play him until you guys figure out a trade for him because I don't want him getting hurt and then risking I, – I don't know. But I, I think – I'm just going to give Tibbs the benefit of the doubt and say that's probably above his pay grade. Okay, that decision. If, um, if, if you're going to – if you were – if we were going to kill Tibbs for something, it's – you have to look much more macro than micro because I don't think this was another game. And I, it sounds like we're going to disagree because I don't think the Dallas game, uh, I mean, whatever. Uh, uh, I'm interested to hear what you have to say. That's what I'll say right now. But oh, yeah, regarding, yeah. regarding this game, I, I don't think you can say really anything micro was Tibbs's fault. But if you, I would, I would say if you're going to say one thing, if you want to say one thing that you could throw at Tibbs tonight, I would say, the unwillingness to switch up your defensive scheme at all. Like the Spurs are not a good or particularly good three point shooting team. Their best three point shooter was out, Devin Vassell, best player arguably. Um I think this is a team go under every screen. Play zone. Do shit that makes them take shots from outside. I don't care what it was. Because they were killing you on cuts the entire night. Constantly getting into the paint, driving kick, driving kick, driving kick. Mitch didn't have shit tonight. He was not making the rotations that you need him to make if you're going to play this scheme. Like the, We know this because we see every night that as soon as Mitch goes out and we replace him with the immaculate Isaiah Hardenstein, the defense goes to shit. Like, we know what happens if Mitch isn't on top of his game defensively. Regardless, and especially if, you know, I don't think Deuce or Grimes or Quickly were, like, this was not their best game defensively. I wouldn't say any of them were egregious, but it wasn't their best games defensively. Definitely um, not Deuce and, Deuce and Grimes. I'm, yeah. I'm going to push back a little bit on quickly because he just wasn't getting beat at the point of attack. There was a couple against Kelden. Okay, he's bigger. But against guards, for the most part, he was slithering around screens, getting back yeah. in front. Gr- Grimes and Deuce, if they're not going to contribute offensively, which, you know, it's not all their fault because in the Tibbs offensive scheme, you, you have a couple guys initiate and the rest are just – asked to react, but whatever. If they're going to be missing shots and not doing much offensively, there's no excuse for them to turn in defensive performances like they did tonight, in my opinion. Yeah, I mean, I will say in the instance of Grimes, I think more so, like, look, this is the thing. Deuce, I like Deuce as a 15-minute-a-night guy off the bench. That's the role I like for him. I think he's actually very good in that role, and I think he helps you win basketball games in that role. When you ask that guy to be a starting two-guard, and play 35 plus minutes like I'm 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 not surprised that I don't like him in that role and that he his timidity is a bigger problem in an extended role that that is not surprising to me 
Um, so I'm more willing to give him like just kind of the whatever offense. Does Grime? I thought Grimes missed his three tonight, and then he just decided like, okay, I'm not going to force the issue at all. Uh, he got blocked on a on that transition take that should have been a foul. That was actually a pretty dangerous play. Um, yeah. I, it wasn't a dirty play, so I don't hope nobody decides that like they need to start some agenda against Keldon Johnson. But like it it was a dangerous play. I thought. Uh, definitely should have been a foul. Anyway, I, I just think he's got to do more than get up 10 shots on a night like tonight. And I know he got to the line six times, I think, but like that was all in the first quarter, maybe at least the first half. I know that um, he's got to get up more shots. That's it. Like there's no way around that. I didn't, I, I didn't think that was just because he wasn't getting opportunities. I think tonight was actually a case of him. We had an argument a couple weeks ago, maybe about Grimes has to take more shots. And I was like, I don't think he's able to take more shots when he's being the fourth option right now. But guess what? He was the third option tonight, and we know in the Tibbs, in Tibbs' scheme, the third option gets plenty of touches. Like, he needed to get shots up. He didn't do it. Um, and I hope that this has been eye-opening for people that at times undervalue. Yes, is RJ frustrating on many nights? Yes. Yes, he is. But you know what? It takes something in you to be willing to have those nights. And he is. Grimes maybe isn't, maybe not, maybe not yet. Maybe it was just a weird night. Who knows? But he needed to get more shots up tonight. Didn't do it. Um, I was happy with what quickly did offensively. Um, you know, did he miss some shots that I wish he would have made? Yeah. Did he make some decisions that I wish he hadn't made? Sure. But like, you're talking about this guy went from kind of in a lot of ways, in my opinion, when we're healthy, having his initiation responsibilities duties leeway to do so reduced uh to now being like hey go be the starting point guard now uh i think he's performed pretty well in that role so far that that's and i'm just trying to keep the praise pretty temperate because we've lost both those games um but i wouldn't put that on his doorstep um i mean he had 36 7 and (laughs) 7 yeah yeah and um it's Look, it is what it is. Um, but like to 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 talk to you about the like yeah, but the tips thing like tonight, like I I'm not I just can't I don't think there's anything there that you can be like, well, this is awful. I can't believe it. Is. And again, the cam thing, like people can talk to me, like they can keep every time I I just want, if anybody's like watching this, I want you to know this. Um, if during a game I if I tweet something about like man this bench unit sucks or man, I hate Isaiah Hardenstein or man. I really wish that quickly would have made that three or man. Like if I, I don't need you to tell me, please stop telling me that Cam Reddish not playing minutes is a big problem. Like I, I don't necessarily disagree with that, but I also have to think there's more to it than just like Tibbs stubbornness because even within that stubbornness, he went, Fournier tonight and he like I have a hard time believing that there's that he just hates Cam so much all of a sudden that like he's out entirely no matter what the circumstances you know like he's I have a hard time believing that even for Tibbs you would go from what he was to basically being treated the same as Svi Mikhailuk like I, I just I don't know that's just tough for me um but, that's but don't just, that's don't you think don't you think th- this is where I was going with that if, if you were going to criticize Tibbs, it's the fact that this is now the third straight season 
if it, with every other team, there's a clear order with the depth chart. There's, you know, a first, a second. There, you're an X man on the team. This is the third straight season that we've had guys go from in the rotation starting to just even when we're shorthanded, those guys are banished from the rotation because Tibbs thinks it's going to mess up his precious chemistry. That 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 can't happen. And I agree with what you're saying about Cam. Like, there's something bigger going on here. This applies to the Dallas game, too. We can't just have guys like Fournier and Rose. I, I get them being out of the rotation when we're fully healthy. But if you're situational, you have to be able to play. And and you have to be able to think about basketball that way. You, you as a coach have to be able to adjust. And to me, the only thing that that says or reinforces is that Tibbs doesn't see our players, the Knicks players, or any whatever team he's coaching his players, as anything more than tools to fill the specific roles that he's etched out for each position. He doesn't see the players for their individual skill sets or the unique thing that unique things they may bring. Cam Reddish was the available shooting guard we had at the time. So, okay, so he's going to start and he's going to play 35 minutes. How a guy can go from playing 35 minutes to, holy shit, our second and third best players are out, our only wing is out, and you're still going to play zero minutes, that's not coaching. That's not anything. That's That hurts the team. And so from a macro standpoint, Tibbs is viewing of his players, not for their skill sets, not for ways he can coach around them, but for ways they can fill in to what he sees as the best way to play is just, I think it's going to be what ultimately is the end of him. And I think it's his biggest problem as a coach. Um, I wouldn't disagree with any of that. I, I said this when we were on that eight game winning streak, I did not love how much we were leaning on the three high usage guys. I thought it was a problem. I thought it was, and I, I and I said, and I have said this before, but like my feeling was, um, okay, he deserves the benefit of the doubt because he has made these rotation changes. Let's see if he's able to adapt even more and, you know, find ways to incorporate quickly Grimes, these do, especially those two, specifically those two more than anybody else. Because I'm just going to say I don't give a fuck about Isaiah Hardenstein. Fuck him. He's the softest motherfucking piece of shit I've ever watched play basketball. That guy is a fucking bum. He should get the fuck out of New York ASAP. Fuck him. I never want to see that motherfucker play again. Fuck him. Like, I, I cannot watch him play basketball anymore. This fucking guy went up for a defensive rebound today. I shit you not. I shit you not. You can go find it. I think it's like, I don't know, it might have been like when the score was like 75-90 or something like that. He goes up for a fucking defensive rebound. He doesn't look. He just jumps in the air because he knows the shot went up. He didn't look at the ball. He didn't box out his man. And I think he ended up like pushing quickly, who was also going up for the rebound, and quickly was trying to tip it. He ends up like knocking into him, and then they got the they got the loose ball after that. Like I cannot stand this guy anymore. He got bullied on the defensive last by Zach Collins. Get the fuck out of here. Just get the fuck out. There was also a pick and roll possession. I'm gonna clip this tomorrow if I can, or maybe yeah, once we're done here. There's a pick and roll possession in the third quarter. Maybe it might have been in the fourth. I don't know. Third or fourth quarter. Quickly is running a pick and roll with him. They run a pick and roll, it doesn't work. So Cookie comes back, 
He gets a dribble handoff from Hartenstein out like 20 feet. Then he runs the pick and roll again. And he, or sorry, comes around the dribble handoff and he comes into the paint. And he's keeping the fucking pocket open for Hartenstein to roll. He's like, you can see him like slow down. He's got, got to, he has his defender, defender in jail. I think it was Trey Jones. He's got his defender in jail. He's keeping the pocket alive. Hartenstein doesn't roll. He doesn't roll. He just fucking stands there like a fucking statue, 20 feet from the rim, doing absolutely nothing. Because not only, not only do we not use his passing, which by the way, I don't even blame Tips for that at this point, because fuck him, I wouldn't use this guy sh- anything at this point. He, not, he's standing at the room 20 feet from the room 20 feet from the basket, like he's Dirk Nowitzki, okay? Uh, doesn't roll. So quickly, he's like in a shitty position, and he's about to have to put up some junk-ass shot. Luckily, Randall cut, and quickly was able to lay it off him, and, he, and Randall hit the cut for a layup. But it was like, watching that was infuriating. Like, you're, I'm sorry, I don't care what you were asked to do in, in the, with the Clippers. I don't care wh- how good your passing is. I don't care if you're the Nikola Jokic of the East or the fuck they were joking about the other week on TNT. You are the role man in Tibbs' offense. And we can all hate the rigidity of that role and what how it restricts him. But that is his role. His role is to roll to the fucking basket. When you don't roll to the fucking basket in a situation like that, you are fucking over your point guard who is clearly trying to set you up for your little bullshit-ass floater, okay? He didn't roll. He nearly fucked over that possession. Kudos to Randall for seeing what was happening and cutting, and good job on quickly forgetting the ball. But this guy is you get him out i don't care if he goes to the clippers and he's diamond guys up again and he's i am convinced that ty lu got just got a shit ton out of him because i watch this guy on defense forget the forget the the passing we can talk about the offense and just say tibbs isn't using him right fine tibbs isn't using him right the between the between the defense and the rebounding i i don't care i'm sorry i'm so over this guy he he had one today. He was guard because he like guards the perimeter sometimes in that Sims Hardenstein situation. I, I forget who he was supposed to close out to. It might have been Keldon or it might it might have been Stanley Johnson. But like, and I know Stanley Johnson's not a great shooter, but like he literally just watched Stanley Johnson catch the ball. Second game in a row, I've seen him do this. Watch a guy st- catch the ball, line up the seams, make sure it feels really nice in his hands, launch a three, and he drained it. And it's like. You're just watching it, and you see. I think it might have been Sims or somebody was like, "What the fuck are you doing? Like, like go out there. Just you can't just stand here and watch it. Like, it's I, I'm I'm just over him. Um, to the point that I don't even remember what the hell we were talking about before I just fucking started screaming about this guy. Um, but like, yeah, look. Uh, oh yeah, so we're talking about the camping. Uh, yeah, look. I, I was. I don't. I think the cam situation is not entirely about Tibbs' lack of communication or how he was using him. I don't think he took well. This is just my feeling and whatever. Take it for what it's worth if you want to read into that. Um, I don't personally think that Cam is into a... I don't think he particularly liked the fact that Grimes came back and took the starting role so quick. Mm -hmm. That's what I think. Um. Yeah. No, that's fine. But like. But like. But like. My point. So, and I think he he basically shut it down himself. 
I don't think that was like Tibbs being like, well, we don't have a role for you. I don't, I think he, this is just me. I, I don't think that, because last year he got a reduced role in Atlanta. He asked out. Everybody knew he had asked out. They were still playing him. They were still playing him. Like, and say whatever you want about Tibbs. I don't recall him benching a guy because they want out. He might have benched guys for just reasons that he, I think you suck. Like, right. and I don't want you to, like, I don't. Like, Kemba clearly wanted out. Yeah, but I don't think that's why he got benched, right? Like, I No, no, but I'm saying when he got benched, Kemba yes. clearly would have wanted to go somewhere where he would play. Right. And then, and when, I, Tib- right. And then when Tibbs had to, he put him back into the rotation. Right. And I don't, I don't get the sense that Cam wants to necessarily play. Like, he's sitting on the bench today. He was smiling, hanging out with RJ, having a good time. Like, he doesn't look like a guy to me that is super upset about not playing right now. Like, I'm sure he is upset about not playing just because it's his contract here. But I, it, it feels like, you know, he is in on the decision. It's probably the best way to put it. Maybe okay. I'm wrong. So, so, so we can remove Cam from the conversation. But Hart, you agree that if things keep going this way, when Obi comes back, even if it's not immediate, Sims is going to be the backup center. You would agree with that, right? Sorry, say that again? You would agree that if things keep going this way, when Obi comes back, even if it's not the immediate move, eventually Sims is going to be the backup center. Like, Hardenstein can't keep playing this way. He's going to get benched. I think he's going to get traded. Okay, fine. Traded or benched. But you would agree with that, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm with you. Okay. Even if we can create a scenario where Cam not playing isn't Tibbs' fault, we can now toss Hardenstein into the mix with Kemba and Fournier and others who basically are banished yeah. because they yeah. don't fit how Tibbs thinks their position should play basketball. Yeah. No, no. Like, I think that's a valid thing. Look, I, I'm not... I, I'm so over the Tibbs conversation because it's like... Like, no matter how bullish I get on, like, I think, you know, the nine-man rotation he found, I was happy with that. Like, genuinely happy with it. He deserves credit, whatever. But, like, I'm still watching us play, and I'm still like, yeah, I don't think he's the coach to take us to the next level. Yeah. Um, and I don't, I will never, I, I will never think that. Like, I've seen enough in these two games shorthanded where I think it's obvious he is holding certain guys back. Like, oh, fuck it, I don't even... I wanted to say, we know who exactly we're talking about. Quickly, we're talking about Grimes. I've seen enough for them. I've seen enough in these guys going back to last season, and in Quickly's case, his rookie season. Where I, I'm sorry, like you can sit there and talk. Oh, oh, Tibbs is the master developer, and he, he's bringing Quickly along slowly, he's perfectly. Like it's not like he's he's slowly, perfectly managing his development, and he's going to unleash him at the perfect time that when he's mentally and physically and emotionally and fucking. He's so ready for like no, I'm I'm sorry. Like I saw this guy. This is an actual thing, right? I want to, I I want everybody to go back. This is an actual thing that happened. We played Portland his rookie season, quickly his rookie season. His first time playing Portland, he dropped 31 points and I'm in like 23 minutes or something crazy like that. Okay, yeah, in Portland they yeah, almost had Portland. that crazy comeback. Right in Portland, second time at the Garden. Every single time. So when quickly checked in, as soon as he checked in, 
every single time he brought the ball up, they started trapping him as soon as he brought the ball up against half, brought the ball across half court. What did Tibbs do? Was Tibbs like, wow, this is fucking amazing. Like, look at all this space. Now we get to play four on three. Or, <laughs> or did he look at that and was like, yep, you got to get quickly out of here. You got to take him out right now. I just, was pulled, I, just, was I just pulled it up, Schwinn. Guess how many minutes he played that night. I want to say it was like 14 or something. You're high. <laughs> he played 12 minutes and 42 seconds. Yeah. And in those 12 minutes and 42 seconds, he had 12 points on four of eight shooting, three assists, two rebounds, and a steal. <laughs> Right. No, but like, but my point, my point isn't to go back and revisit the sins of last, but like, I think Tibbs is a guy. I don't know if anybody, I've mentioned this today multiple times in Discord, and I feel like I'm just old now because people don't understand what I'm saying when I say this. But if there are other fellow old people listening to this podcast or watching live right now, Tibbs is the Mar- he's Marty Schoenheimer. He is Marty Schoenheimer. He will get you to a very, if you are starting from ground zero, Tibbs is a pretty good guy to hire, in my opinion. He might be mega annoying and behind the scenes, like, get me fucking this bed and give me that. Fine. But, like, he will instantly come in and give you some semblance of order. He will create very defined roles for players, which can help in the initial stages of a build. Um, he will help provide a baseline level of competence. But then... There is not much more to him beyond that. And that is the problem that I feel he has as a coach. Because I look at a player like quickly, and I personally think he's developed skills that he flat out didn't have as a rookie. Like, he could not have had this game that he had today as a rookie. Not because he couldn't have scored 36 points. But if he scored 36 points, I promise you, it would have come on like nine threes. It was not, it, what did he even shoot today from three? Four of something? Five of 12. Okay. So he scored 21 other points from not three. He was. And it seven, wasn't from like foul baiting either. There yeah. were tons of shots inside the arc that went yeah. in. He was seven of 15 from two. That's not fucking phenomenal. But I'll let me honest, most guards aren't shooting like seven, like seven of 15 from two for a guard is pretty solid. Anyway, my point isn't to single out quickly or praise him to the heavens. But I think, like, Tibbs has gotten you to the place that he can get you. There's no shame in that. He's done it a lot faster than I would have fucking thought, which is a, a credit to him and a credit to the front office also for a variety of reasons. But like, a wor- the, the Knicks are a worse version of the 2013-2014 Warriors. Yeah, that sounds fine. They're... I, I, yeah, and it's just like, look, I'm just... I, and, like, this is, like, the, the – I really wish we weren't having this conversation tonight because this is not the night to have it because we didn't lose tonight because of Tibbs's – look, you can say he fucked up this rotation, that rotation. Like, the guy didn't have many options tonight. So it's just, this is not the night where you can be like, well, why didn't he play quickly more? It's like, look, he played quickly about as many minutes as he could. Like, I, it, this is not one of those nights. Um, but, like, to, re- removing this night from it or even the Dallas game from it, like – I mean, we can go back to that. Like, that Bulls game last week just blew my mind. It blew my mind watching that game. And in real time, it's like, I love Quentin Grimes. I am fine with Quentin Grimes starting. I'm fine with him playing 
31 minutes a night, whatever the fuck it is. Where I have a problem with it is Grimes is my starter. So regardless of how quickly he's playing tonight and how Grimes is playing tonight, Grimes has to close also because he's bigger. And because of that size, that has to mean he's playing better defense on Zach Levine than quickly is tonight. And it's like these decisions that he makes that they are pre-decided. They're not based on the actual game that's occurring in front of him at that time. And the only time he ever seems to like maybe read a game and adjust to what's actually happening in that game with his rotations and lineups and subs is like with nine minutes left in the fourth quarter. Before that, for the first like 39, 40 minutes of a game, it is just how he has planned it out. And there's no deviation from it. <clears throat> there's rarely an adjustment to the opponent. So like if we're playing a team like OKC, right? He will never look at a team like OKC and be like, well, they're small, so I can try playing small too. No, he will be like, well, they're small, so I can capitalize on this by staying big like I want to stay anyway. And if a team is big, he'll be like, well, I got to stay big because I got to match up with them. So like, there's ne- his rigidity of thinking is a hindrance. And I don't care. I really don't care what people think about that. Like, I, I don't. Because if you don't understand how rigidity in thinking manifests in terms of for a coach in terms of lineups rotations you know stag like all kinds of tactical deployment all these types of things if you don't understand that and why that's a limiting factor and why that hurts your ability to evaluate and judge and truly grasp the full measure of the talent at your disposal i don't know what to tell you because look at the Knicks roster today and look at the roster the Clippers had for the majority of last season, right? They did not have Kawhi at all. And they had, what, Paul George missed like, what did he miss, like 55 games or something? Like, there's a shit, there's a shit ton of the season. We have better talent than they had last year. We have a bit more talented roster than the Clippers had. And before Brunson went out, before RJ went out, we were 18 and 16. Right. So is that unacceptable from Tibbs? I don't know. I can't say it's unacceptable. But what I can say is that I personally think this team has more potential. That's just what I think. I think this team has more potential than we are being seen, we are being shown with how Tibbs presents this team to us. And even if I'm wrong, I would like to explore those options because I think it helps us truly understand what we have. Like, I would bet that there are people who think more of Emmanuel quickly today than they did two games ago. Why? Because he finally got an opportunity in extended minutes to just play point and show a variety of things. But, like, he doesn't get to do that often. And I'm not putting that on like, oh, well, this is why the Knicks shouldn't have signed Brunson. No, I think even with Brunson in the rotation when he's healthy and playing, there are opportunities and there should, there, sorry, there should be opportunities and freedom afforded to players like, especially quickly and Grimes, to do more. And that's not going to happen with Tibbs. He's not the guy to create that type of offensive ecosystem. 
or even attempt to. And so for that reason, like, I'm not going to, I'm just not going to waste my breath at this point. Like, fire tips, fire tips, fire tips. I've, on the record, I would like him gone. Nothing has changed for me. I'm willing to wait out the season, but I'm not going to lie. It's very frustrating. And there are games that are very frustrating to me with his coaching. Yeah. I, um, I feel like the people who, you know, support him and still think he's the right guy for this team just sort of see it from like a floor raising perspective and they don't really consider all the other factors. And so, I mean, I'm not going to sit here and just rehash everything you said. I agree with everything you said. Um, I think I, I, you kind of have to, as you know, a content creator or whatever you would call what we do on Twitter, um, you know, covering the Knicks when they're on an eight game winning streak, you just are an asshole. If you're like, well, I still think Tibbs should be fired, you know, like that, you're not going to do that. But and I think it's the right thing to do to just be like, okay, things are working. Let's try and highlight some good things that he's doing. You know, like I think that's the right thing to do. But the general problem is still, you know, the general problem. And that's that what you just said, like long-term is Tibbs the answer. And I don't see how you can think that he hasn't proven like the most important things in a coach try, when you're trying to consider a ceiling are adaptability and, versatility and Tibbs is neither of those things he has a baseline scheme that he just doesn't deviate from and to your point that you said that is a really good starting point because the whole idea is to build a baseline foundation like there are teams that don't have that and we should be really grateful to Tibbs for that um as my cat sits right behind me um um and it's what Mark Jackson did for the Warriors. That's why I made that, you know, analogy. The, the Warriors were as screwed as any franchise in basketball. Like, they traded for David Lee, but they had nothing. Monta Ellis and Steph Curry were basically dueling banjos, and they, they didn't have anything. They didn't play defense. And Mark Jackson came in and taught them how to play defense and taught them how to work hard, and it was great. But then, all of a sudden, they're this talented team that didn't pass the ball. They were last in the league in passes and first in the league in ISOs. Mark Jackson took that team as far as he could, and he should be commended for building the structure and the foundation that he did, but they needed a Steve Kerr. And I'm not saying this group of players can win a championship. They still need more pieces, obviously. But they also, they have a number of guys that can be a part of a championship team. I'm not saying Quickly and Grimes are all-stars or starters on a championship team, but there is a ceiling there that we are suppressing. And it will remain suppressed as long as Tibbs is around. And I agree with you. We shouldn't, you know, we should talk about other stuff. <laughs> so that's the, that's the end of the Tibbs rant for me. Yeah. It's just, I'm, I've, I've talked about this fucking guy for like two and a half years at this point. And if you're still of the opinion that the Knicks can't and shouldn't strive for something different or better, or you don't think they can do better than, I don't want to say what I think of you. Um, <laughs> All right, so what we will talk about now uh, is, I, okay, I didn't love the, I mean, look, it, this I don't even know how to put this on Tibbs, but like, I thought the game was lost effectively in that first half in the Rose Hartenstein minutes specifically, those two. I know Fournier came in, he wasn't great either, but like, I, I thought those two were 
very egregiously bad in that first half. And in particular, Hartenstein was just I I don't I don't even know what to say with this guy. He was a minus seventeen tonight, I think, in fifteen minutes. That that's the game. Like I don't like putting it on one guy, but I'm comfortable. Like you can talk like Deuce has to be more aggressive. Grimes has to take more shots. Mitch didn't have it tonight. So on and so forth. You know, quickly wasn't consistent. He didn't get hot until late. I don't whatever you want to say. Fine. But I'll tell you what. The Hardenstein minutes are the killer. They killed us. I other than that, as bad as the Knicks played, they still were the better they were a better team. Like they are a better team than the Spurs. So it's not surprising, but like that's what it is. Um and We'll see. We play them again next week. Um, I have a feeling that we will be healthier then, and I think we were going to beat them by like twenty plus. Um, and I'm excited for that because fuck them. Uh, I'm just excited for them to play their next game, and you know, I, I'll just get to laugh when Romeo Langford doesn't shoot twelve for sixteen. You know, and people yeah. will be like, "Oh, they probably defended better." But oh, yeah, I mean, I'll, I'm surprised. Brunson didn't play today. I guess the back. I don't know. We'll see how it goes. I mean, hopefully he gets healthy pretty soon. I will, I'll say this. If he's not back for that Houston game, they're going to lose that game. They they have no margin for error right now. Uh, like, we saw it tonight. They literally have no margin for error. They are pushing a guy like Deuce well beyond what he's capable of at this point in time in his career. I think they are asking a shit ton of Randall, a shit ton of IQ. A shit ton of grimes, and if one of those guys doesn't have it, there's nobody else to pick up the slack. And on a night when Mitch doesn't have it defensively, there's no hope. So, um, we'll see. Hopefully, Mitch has it. And but they need Brunson back if they want to win that game. I think Houston's been playing a little bit better. Um, they also just have a lot of like dudes that are energetic and whatever. They're one of those teams. So, I, I will. I will say that. Um, I want to talk about. Uh, I mean, we can. I guess we can talk a little bit about Randall tonight. I thought Randall's offense was. I always struggle with this because, like, I I get when people get really frustrated with his decision making, and it's not unfair. But where I think it is unfair is on in a night like tonight, where it was him or IQ. That was it. Nobody else is creating anything. And it wasn't necessarily because guys didn't have the opportunity. Because I saw Randall try to run a dribble handoff with Grimes a few times. I saw Grimes have opportunities to create and deuce. And, like, they just didn't do it. And we saw Rose try to do whatever the fuck Rose was trying to do. And none of it worked. Except for that fluky-ass kickout he had to Randall for a three to close the third quarter. Uh, but, like, I don't... I, I just... I can't get to the point of being like, well, this is why Randall can't ever be a really, really good player. And I'd say that as somebody who is very, very skeptical of Randall coming into this season. But like, like even the Dallas game, cause we, I get, we're just going to have to talk about it. I mean, I'm sorry to make you relive it. But like, the Dallas game, like, I hated the offense down the stretch, but you can literally hear Tibbs calling out the plays, like, as quickly as bringing the ball to the floor. Those are design sets for Randall to get the ball at the elbow and do his thing. And do I like that? No, I fucking hate it. And I think it's not good for Randall. It brings out the worst things in him. It it, it and but but like whose fault is that? 
That's not his fault. That's the play that's being called. And I know, because I've watched him out for three and a half years, or the fuck it is, if you do that ten times in a quarter, you're going to get three or four possessions that are absolutely terrible. That's just... He's a 28-year-old player. This is what he is. He has hit the upper bound, probably, of like what the Knicks could have reasonably even expected of him when they signed him. Initially, I'm talking about. He's at the upper bound of that. But, like, he's not an all-NBA guy, no matter what he did in 2020-21. He's not going to be a perennial all-star. Like, he's not that level of player. So, like, getting frustrated at him when Tibbs put him, puts him in a position like that and he doesn't nail his decisions. And, and, this, and tonight wasn't even on Tibbs. Like, tonight was just the reality of what the Knicks had tonight. Like, it was just what they had going in the situation. I can't so just him. just curious. Why was it not the reality of what they had against Dallas? What was the difference? They were creating much better offense the entire game until the last whatever. I think it was like I want to say he came back in at ninety nine ninety five, but like even before that, to start the fourth quarter, he had already taken the ball out of Quickly's hands for some reason to let Rose do point guard things. By the way, he did that again today in the first half. I, I don't understand that. And I don't know if that's a Tibbs thing. I don't know if that's a Rose thing. But it should be enough. Like, Rose fucking sucks right now. And he's probably done in the NBA after this season. He's cooked. He has absolutely no juice. He can't blow by anybody. Even if he does get by somebody, he can't turn the corner fully. So his finishes are all much harder. He can't finish over anybody. He can't finish through anybody. He can't finish around anybody. He, If it's not a straight line drive layup, he's basically done. I don't remember the last time he's made a pull-up three. But half the time when he shoots it, that shit looks like it's when it grazes the front of the rim. I'm just happy because that, that way it's not so so embarrassing. But he looks like he has absolutely no juice. Anyway, I think it was 99.95 when he brought Julius back in the game. Uh, and I know they extended the lead out. That was mostly because of their defense uh, more than their offense. But I don't remember this. I, again, I don't remember the specifics of the scores. But you can look at when Julius came back in, and you can look at the offense they ran then. And you look at the offense they ran, um, you know, like prior to that for most of the game. And it's entirely different. They were getting up the floor. They were spreading the ball out. They were making. And it's like, you know why it didn't work tonight against the Spurs as much? Because Spurs are just more athletic. They can run with you. Dallas cannot run. They could not run with the Knicks. That's why the Knicks were getting so many wide open threes. And yeah, you can be like, well, quickly shot. What did he shoot? One of 10 from three. And. Deuce was like one of eight. Deuce was one of nine. Yeah, whatever it was. I don't care. My, I will always bet on the quality of shot for guys, especially the kids quickly, who have shown me they can make shots. I will always bet on that over choosing to grind the game down and go into this like ISO Julius mode. And it's just, it's not like there. And even if you want to ISO Julius, there are ways to do it that are more productive. Like, Move him to a different spot. He kept getting the ball. They kept running the same exact. They always do this. Everybody that watches the Knicks knows this. They run that same fucking bullshit, like, three-man weave where they pitch the ball back and forth, and then Julius gets the ball at the elbow. That They ran that, like, fucking five straight times in the fourth quarter. And probably, like, 10 out of 12 possessions or something. But they, like, okay, you want to ISO Julius. Great. ISO him in different spots. Don't telegraph where you're going to do it to the point where they can load up on it constantly. 
And that's what was so frustrating about the end of the Bulls game mm-hmm. was they basically split the end game possessions into really good ones and really bad ones. The really good ones were when they sent a screen, they sent Mitch to screen to try and get Vucevic in the action for RJ. And the Bulls didn't want RJ with Vucevic on an island. So they blitzed the screen and roll and it created a four on three. And this was a creative way to get Julius, not really an ISO, but to get him an initiation possession with an advantage. And so they put Julius at the top of the key as like sort of the exit valve and RJ made the pass a few times and they were some of our best late game possessions. And then other times Tibbs would be like, Oh, well, RJ is the guy who's got it cooking. Let's just ISO him. And those were the bad possessions. And it's like quickly wasn't making anything against Dallas, but it was probably the most in control of a game I've ever seen him have. Like he was just, diming people up he was he looked so comfortable probing in the paint why not just run screen and roll with quickly and mitch and have julius be the out like be the exit valve again why not and run it with i why not run pick and roll with iq and randall right or that i mean yeah, yeah. We, we we would end up complaining about that because we know what randall would do he would force right. the shitty switch and then he would put his hand up and yada yada he but would, um, he would screen right <laughs> exactly um Man, they ran one screen and roll tonight, and it was an awesome play. And Julius, it, Julius got downhill, and IQ hit him with a slip pass, and it just went under his hand. And Deuce ended up hitting yeah, a three. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, but it was a really good play. I, I don't get why they don't do it more. I think that's it's one of those things where I remember for like three years being like, man, the the Carmelo, Amari Stoudemire pick and roll numbers are great. They should run that more. And at some point, you just got to be like. It must be a thing where those guys just don't want to run it. Right. Like, yeah. I'm assuming that Ra- – look, we've seen Randall. Randall doesn't want to actually be a role man. It's just the reality of it. Like, he'll do it at times, and he's done it more this year, which he deserves credit for, but, like, that's just not what he wants to do. And I, I also think there's a part of him, and this can be right or wrong, but, like, he's more willing to be a role man for Brunson than he is willing to be a role man for Quickly. Right? There's a difference there. Like, he – he views them as different. He's not necessarily wrong to do so. He might be wrong to treat them the same, that that differently when he's uh, operating as role man. But the point is, like, they're, they're not the same. And um, but yeah, like I, I thought the offense, the and like this, like this is what I'm talking about when you're saying like you're saying you disagreed with me. Like, do I think Tibbs' coaching was the biggest factor in us losing the the game against Dallas? No, I don't. Like, clearly, you know, there was a lot of shit that went wrong. And there, and same thing goes with the the Chicago game. Do I think Tibbs' coaching was the biggest reason we lost that game? No, we missed free throws. We did stupid shit. Like, of course, those are bigger problems. But like, it is a big problem if your coach constantly loses margins and he loses them in similar ways. And he loses them in ways that that uh, extend across seasons, extend across multiple different rosters different personnel groupings, whatever. Um, like, go back to the Chicago game, right? I tweeted it out when when he made the sub. I thought it was stupid to take out Grimes. I thought that was obvious in real time. It's like, Grimes is really good, right? Is Grimes at that level at this point where, like, even when he's having a bad night, you just close with him because he's Quentin Grimes? No. What the fuck are we talking about here? Like, no, he's Quentin Grimes. Like, I love him, 
And one day he might be Quentin fucking Grimes. But he's not right now. He's just Quentin Grimes. He's a nice player who's developing, who's shown some real nice flashes of upside in a second year. Um, but, like, he didn't have it that night. It's okay on a night like that. If you can sit quickly on a variety of nights that he sat down the stretch of games, you can sit Quentin Grimes for a game. That's fine. I don't think I don't know, Quentin Grimes is even going to be upset about that. He sat R.J. Barrett down the stretch of games. You can, if you can sit R.J. Barrett, you can sit Quentin Grimes. That was a bad, that was a bad call at that time. Uh, you're talking about the play calling down the stretch of the Chicago game. I thought he went away from multiple things that work down the stretch to just oh, R.J. has it going, so let's just let let him cook. Like I didn't love that. Um, does that was that were those the biggest reasons we lost the game? Would we have definitely won if quickly closed over Grimes? I can't answer those questions. I don't know. I have no idea. But I'll tell you this. If he had played quickly and not brought Grimes back in, I really don't think anybody would have been that pissed about that. Because quickly was flat out better in that game. And what I think he had 15 3 and 3 in that game in 21 minutes. Grimes had like 10 points and was just, again, it was just one of those games. He just didn't have it. He's not good offensively. And he was better defensively too. The last two yeah. possessions, the last two possessions before he got pulled, he played just absolutely perfect defense against Levine, contesting two, like just you know doing the quickly thing where he just hounds someone over screens and blows up the play before it even starts, and then eventually they have to sell for some bullshit mid range shot, and quickly is there to contest that too. He was an animal defensively. It was. I was actually really surprised that Tibbs took him out for the reasons that you stated. Like he's kept RJ out late in games. Grimes shouldn't be untouchable, um, especially when Quickly is that important. And the other thing is that Quickly's wingspan is longer than Grimes's, so like the size thing is befuddling to me. I think Quickly's six three with a six nine wingspan. Grimes mm-hmm. is six four with whatever the hell his wingspan is six eight. It's like I think. six eight and a half or six eight or something. Yeah. It's shorter. And like I know Grimes is way stronger, but like. The size difference just isn't that meaningful to me. Um, and oh, let's be real, like Zach Levine, Zach Levine's not gonna like be overpowering guys. Like that's not his game, right? He's not some bully in the post or something. Um, but like, like okay, so I I watched that game. I'm like, okay, those are mistakes. Whatever. Okay, if you want to say that doesn't matter, guys make free throws. We don't. I would have felt the same way about that game. If we had won that, I would have felt the same way if we had won. Because I still would not have liked the idea. I still wouldn't have liked that they closed with Grimes over quickly. And I wouldn't have loved the ISO possessions. Because I never liked that. I don't mind ISOs. I mind that like we lean on them so inordinately heavily compared to what we normally do in the fourth quarter. And not just that we... We also slow it down so much that like you're not even allowing yourself the opportunity to maybe, okay, this ISO is going nowhere. Let's swing it to the second side, see if we, can get, we can't get something else. You know, we were know. slowing it down tonight at the end of the game, down yeah. eight and down 10. It was I didn't really, get that. Really, it was really annoying. Like, yeah. not crossing the not crossing half court until, you know, 17 or 18 seconds. And, like, you know, I'm sure someone will snarkily say, like, you know, a better point guard or a more true point guard would have more clock awareness. But, Strangely enough, quickly throughout the season, he's been the only one uh, who, like, you know, rolls the ball up the floor when we have a lead trying to, you know, he, he did it against Dallas. 
he, he always goes two for one. He is like aware of that stuff. So it was like, it, it makes me think that the point you made earlier about them just being gassed, like they, they, they might've just not had it at the end of the game. Yeah. I don't think they had it tonight. That's why like, I just, people are like, I don't know. I've seen a lot of people say the defense was inexcusable and we've had a couple comments in here and like, I get that. I just, I'm sorry. Like I watched that game tonight and I just watched, I looked, I thought that team had, they gave everything they had for that, that 47 and a half, 48, whatever you want to call it against Dallas. They had nothing left. They had nothing left. I still think they're drained from that game. May probably more emotionally and mentally than physically at this point, but that stuff matters in an 82 game season. I'm not going to pretend it doesn't. I think that was a really rough loss. They had a shitty game today. It happens. I'm not going to kill them for it. Um, the the good news is for you know for us as Knicks fans is Brunson coming back is gonna be the even if it's artificial it's gonna be an emotional boost more even more so than the value of the depth he's gonna add you need something tangible like that to like mentally hold on to just to like feel a little bit refreshed and be like okay like it's going to get better going forward. And Brunson's going to provide that boost. Um, yeah. I mean, the, like, I'm sorry. I'm sure that Derek Rose is a big help in the locker room, but like, give me a break, dude. These guys know he's fucking cooked. Like they know, you know, every, it's obvious. You can see it. Um, so it, 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 one, I'm curious what you think about this because you brought up, you know, Deuce being a 15 minute a night guy. Tibbs doesn't seem to fully trust Deuce, and I'm not sure he should. Um, you, you see him often getting frustrated with him. There was a play tonight when Deuce passed up catching and shooting and ended up traveling, and Tibbs did the, you know, arms wide, what are you doing bit, like shoot the friggin' ball. I'm curious if you think we'll reach a point in this season when our nine-man rotation is quickly Grimes and Brunson being the only guards, and Tibbs does that as a way to – increase quickly his minutes and then he just says all right deuce like you've had your chance and i'm not giving up on you but for this season you're going to go back to being situational and now all of a sudden across the 96 guard minutes you have brunson grimes and quickly playing all of them uh with 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 quickly being the interchangeable one he is either playing point guard next to grimes or shooting guard next to brunson and you know he's playing 25 to 32 minutes a night and the other two are playing the rest I mean, I think it's possible. I'll say this. I think they need a wing. So, right. I like Deuce, I like it would go with that because I don't think Tibbs wants to go to a 10 man rotation. But if they trade someone for a wing and they've got quickly that wing, whoever it is, Obi and a backup center, I think that would turn into the nine man rotation, you know? I mean, and that that's fine with me. If, if Deuce goes back to being situational in that sense, in that context, like, I don't care. That, I mean, I. Would still like him to get some minutes every now and then, or like even consistently, even if it's just like ten minutes a night as your tenth guy. Like I don't mind that, but if they don't, that's fine. Um, and look, I don't think it's unreasonable. If there's one guy in this rotation, even in that nine man rotation, I would be willing to use as a trade chip and be Deuce, like or Hartenstein, who I don't give a shit about. Like get him out. You know, I'm I'm really done with him. I think. He's a bad fit on this roster. But like, if you have Obi, he's a terrible fit on this roster. Because him and Hartenstein together as a fucking front court is so hopeless on the defensive glass. Like, it's just never going to happen. It's never going to happen. And I, I don't care. Like, I think I've seen, I've seen more progress from Obi on that end 
in terms of just defensive rebounding than I have from Hartenstein. And Hartenstein's a center. Like, I don't, I just genuinely, I don't know. Like, I can deal with some, there are positions where you can get away with bad defensive rebounding. Center ain't one. And he is atrocious. He is as bad as I've ever seen. I, and I don't it has think- it has a compounding effect, right? Because Obi's best way of getting his feet into the game with him not starting and coming off the bench have been those leak outs. That's, yeah, you can't leak out with, that's with a huge Hart. part of that game, and you can't do that next to Hardenstein because we're not reliable enough on the de- defensive glass. So it it hurts Obi even more. Yeah, I, I and I I have suggested this. I okay, I would. I would do this. Like I would, I would call up Cleveland and be like, "Hey, look, if Cam's done here, Cam's done here, right? We'll give you Fournier and Cam for Levert and Okoro. Find a third team to send Levert to. Get a couple of second round picks for him and a matching contract. I don't care. But like, just do that. I don't care. Like, I, I'm I'm fine with that. I know Okoro can't shoot. Personally, I don't think Reddish was a particularly great shooter. Uh, he had. Like he's one of the weirdest shooters because he had like some shots that were really impressive, but then he'd have these threes that you're just like, you were open for a catch and shoot and you just missed it by like four feet. How was that even possible? Uh, but like if he's done here, it is what it is. Like Okoro, he's a physical dude on the wing. I, his individual rebounding numbers aren't great. I think I remember checking it. Like I think they've rebounded better with him on the floor for his career. So take that for what it's worth. Uh, he's athletic. He'll get out and run. He'll help keep up the defensive mindset you have kind of going. Like, I'm fine with that. And I'm fine with, you know, getting back some bullshit expiring in a couple seconds if we can do it. Would Cleveland do that? I have no idea. I don't know. Maybe they would. Maybe they wouldn't. Who's to say? But, like, like, they have to find a way to get a wing. They have to get a wing on this roster. They clearly don't have enough without one. Um. And if that comes to the expense of deuce minutes in the rotation, okay, so be it. But, like, you know, I didn't care when any of the vets that we had got benched because I just, like, Rose looked absolutely done to me to begin with. And I just, 48 didn't have shit to start this year, and he still looks like, I don't know. I know he had 11 points tonight, but, man, he is fucking brutal on defense. Like, absolutely. Is- he, he somehow had two steals, and it was like, because he's never the, in position. Yeah, no, exactly. Yeah, because he was he was getting cooked. They they put him on McDermott, which seems like almost cruel. Like, yeah, oh, you haven't great. played NBA basketball in a month. Yeah, run around with Doug McDermott. Good luck. <laughs> um, honestly, I mean, I said this on the Strickland Twitter account. I have to give Fournier just the smallest amount of props because it's got to be hard, you know, to not play for a month and then just get tossed back in and like. Like the, he was our third leading scorer. Like that's crazy. That's that's he. It's not like the points he scored didn't matter, you know. Like and so he. I'm not. I know he's you know going to be off the team, and I just think that he deserves some sort of praise for hanging in there and staying ready, as Tibbs likes to say. You know. Yeah, I mean, I guess we might as well praise somebody for it. Um. (laughs) But like, uh, he, like, it is. I don't know. I, there's nothing to even be said about about Fournier, right? Like, he's just is what he is. Yeah. Uh, so I, I don't know. I, I guess 
where I'm at though is I just uh, I don't know I I'm I really hate that we're on a five game losing streak after we went on an eight game winning streak because it immediately are you you're like well was that eight game losing streak like or eight game winning streak like a fucking fluke a fraud and I don't think it was I really don't like I think they found something and I think it works they were they're like two of these games are fucking coin flips. The Chicago game and the Dallas. Dallas game isn't a coin flip. That's just a once in a generation fluky, all kinds of bullshit occurs loss yeah. that you endure. And the Chicago one's a, it's not, that one's also not a coin flip. That's just one where you had a couple of coaching decisions on the margins that probably cost you a point or two. And then on top of that, you had guys, you know, you'd expect Brunson and Grimes to at least split their free throws, right? They would go yeah. 0 for 4. I don't know. God knows how many free throws I don't remember. I think Randall missed a bunch, and RJ also missed a couple in the fourth. So, like, you just missed a lot of free throws there, too. So, you, you fuck yourself in that game. Then the Dallas game, again, generational fuck-up. Like, all of a sudden, like, yeah, if, if you, if you you know, if you're, you've lost two, if you've gone two and three in your last five, even with the shade loss on Spurs, I think things feel a lot different. Um, but, like, like, it is what it is. I don't think the team is bullshit. I don't think it's of crap. I don't think they just had a fluky run, but they need they don't have a big margin for error because I think it's obvious that look, we were sold on the depth of this team. The depth yeah. of this team has gone to shit because Cam is we might as well just not consider him part of the team at this point. Uh Fournier looks I don't know. He he was barely I mean, he was offensively good enough last year that like you could just about Live with his defense, but that's it's not that trade off is no longer even there. And Rose is completely done, right? And then on top of it, you've got a situation where I think it's debatable. Like, I think Hartenstein's been worse than like he's been terrible. I don't, yeah. I, I know the on off stuff looks kind of fine for him, but like, I think he's been terrible, honestly. I really do. Um, and I think Sims is better than him, especially for how we want to use our centers, which I don't know if that's entirely a Tibbs thing, by the way. I think that feels like an organizational thing because they did draft Sims. They kept Mitch. Like I think they want their centers to be more of the vertical rim-running type than playmakers with the ball. Um, okay. But, like... You I don't know. I mean... I think I'm... I think one of my biggest uh, biases. I'm more sympathetic to the front office, so I'm definitely seeing this through you know, those that lens, but all the front office gets criticized for by a certain, a certain crowd is not catering to Tibbs enough. They don't, they don't get enough Tibbs guys. You know, Campbell wasn't a Tibbs guy. Fournier wasn't a Tibbs guy. And I think well, like, even if that's fair, let's say that is fair—a fair criticism. Sometimes there's just not Tibbs guys to get. Right. Like something like what point guard were they going to get when Kemba was on the market that they didn't? Oh, they should have gone Kyle Lowry. Really? How would that have been working out right now? Like, there's just all kinds of things you can say. Um, look, I just I, all I'm saying is I I don't I'm not even saying that they don't have different people there that have different viewpoints. I don't view them having signed Hartenstein though, because 
he was necessarily going to add all these dimensions to the team. I think they thought he was a good player at a pretty good price, and he could fit a variety of schemes, including what they were going to have him do under Tibbs. Hasn't worked out that way at all. But, but, but that is, but that is on the front office. I mean, I'm gonna, I'm gonna do a little bit of a 180 here. You can't just have analytics guys be like, "This isn't baseball." You can't say, "Okay, this is his WAR, uh, and this is how much you know he's worth per dollar." If we get him for this, we're gaining this much, yada yada. Because it's not plug and play; it's not the same. Basketball is a fluid game, so it's not just about understanding that Hardenstein at two for sixteen is a plus EV contract. It's understanding why or how to make it a plus EV contract. And so, yes, signing good players to good value contracts is a big part of your job, but it's not the entire battle. If you're going to sign Isaiah Hartenstein, then you have to communicate with your coach or like before you sign him, be like, all right, this is the type of player he is. This is what we're good, what he's good at. Do we think we can capitalize on this guy's strengths? You have to have an understanding and a self-awareness of your players. And I think we lack that majorly. I don't think we have, I don't think the Knicks from a front office right down to the coaching staff, I don't think we have the best awareness of our pieces right now, of who each player is, what their strengths are. I think they view everything in a vacuum. And it's just like, and including the game of basketball, I think they view it very abstractly. And it hurts them a lot. I think smarter organizations are much more nuanced and much more micromanaged uh, and meticulous. And yeah, I think, you know, our front office and our coaching staff, they do good stuff. There's plenty of good stuff they do, but this is an area where they deserve blame. You can't, there's no way. Like if, if, if we went back to the season, in fact, you know, we did it. We did a uh, Strickland preseason, whatever that round table thing. If you asked anybody, any Knicks fan, if Hardenstein was going to go down as a bad contract, you would have been mm. laughed out of the building. It should have been impossible to screw this up. But I still, I still think they're going to get value for him. So it's fine. That's fine. I, I, that, that's that's fine. But to me, that will that will be screwing it up a little bit because he's it's Isaiah Hardenstein on a two for sixteen, and we're thirty six games into the season, and you hate him. That's crazy. And you're not even wrong. You're not wrong to hate him. But I hate like always taking it out of the player's hands. Wow. He has to do better with the task that's been given to him. I agree. He has to be stronger on the defensive class. I agree. He has to be all these different things. But it's like we're, it, you have to take some of the blame off of him too because you're asking, you know, a friggin' – Guy who only speaks French to speak a totally different language. That takes time. It's, you know, you might not even have the skills to do it. And it's just, I, I think that we totally botched this one. Um, and I think more of the blame falls on Tibbs and therefore the front office than it does on Hartenstein. That's my opinion about him. Uh, I actually named Hartenstein as the player I was most worried about not delivering up to par coming into wow, the Wow, yeah. Yeah. Uh, that was a rare, good preseason take for me. What I actually said was this. What I saw in the preseason with him as a drop big on defense, boxing out, and generally how he fits in with the bench group raised some eyebrows. I went on to say this. It would not surprise me if we see Sims get more burn 
than expected early in the season while Hartenstein is still getting acclimated. Uh, apparently, Sims may get more burn later in the season when Hartenstein is no longer on the Knicks. Um, but, like, all right, before we continue, before we continue, very important announcement. The NBA season is heating up. There's still so much action to bet on. When I'm looking to get in on the action, I bet with DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. New customers can bet just $5 pregame money line on any NBA team to win their game and get $150 in free bets if they do. I bet the Spurs money line would have been a nice little payout today. Check this out. Right now, everyone can earn up to a 100% boost with DraftKings stepped-up same-game parlays. Go to the DraftKings Sportsbook app, place the same-game parlay, and combine multiple bets like which team will win, total rebounds, and more. The more legs you add, the bigger the boost, the bigger your shot to win big. Download the app now, sign up with code TBPN, place a $5 pregame Moneyline bet on any NBA team to win their game, and get $150 in free bets if they do. That's code TBPN, only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply. See show notes for details. Um, the the Hartenstein thing is, oh, there's a few parts that you touched on I want to get to. I think we can talk about Tibbs. It's on Tibbs because he's not getting enough from what this guy's skill set is. He's not playing to his strengths. We can talk about the front office misevaluated his malleability to a different coach, asking him to do different things. All those things are fair. At the end of the day, you're a center. If you're not defensive rebounding, and you're not boxing out, and you are lax in your defensive responsibility at times, let's say, that's on you. I don't think it's about the scheme. I don't think it's about Tibbs. I don't think it's about how he's being deployed. I think he's just not been good on that end. And I don't know what the hell he was before last year with the Clippers. But he had been bouncing around the league, right? He bounced from the Rockets to the Nuggets. Nuggets are a pretty smart team, I think. They let him go. He goes to the Clippers. And in my opinion, the best coach in the NBA got a lot of utility out of him. But guess what? The best coach in the NBA also, he didn't use him in all the matchups as many minutes as he would. He never started him over Zubac. And I know there were a shit ton of nerds. Nerd Twitter was, a lot of them were like, man, he's way better than Zubac. Look at the data. Look at the numbers. Like, he's better. And I I didn't watch the Clippers enough last year to, to have any strong takes on that opinion. I thought the Hartenstein thing on the surface looked like a good signing. Um, I didn't think it would backfire. I still don't think it's going to backfire because I think I'm going to get value for him, so it's whatever. It just hasn't worked out here. But, like, clearly, I think Ty Lu saw something there, understood how to get the most out of Hartenstein and protect him, but he didn't trust him fully and for a good reason. So we know Tibbs, I think even his biggest fans would say that like he's not the most uh, nimble on his feet to adjust for player weaknesses. So like this is just not a good place for him. It's not a good marriage. And I don't actually, I don't like the way he fits quickly. I don't like the way he fits with, um, you know, I don't, I really don't like the fit he has with Obi. Actually, I was, I'm surprised by that. I thought they would dovetail much more nicely. 
I haven't liked what I've seen of them playing off each other, really. It actually feels like because of Hartenstein, like, I see Obi attack the paint more when he plays with Jericho Sims than I do when he plays with Hartenstein. And I don't know if that's just a weird thing that occurs or if that's some kind of tactical choice that's being made at the coaching staff level or if that's something where because he knows Hartenstein's a good passer off short rolls, he wants to space the floor for him. Or I don't know. I really don't know. But I don't like the way they've played together. Uh, I don't like the way Quickly and him have played together. I really want to clip that play desperately that I was talking about earlier because it was fucking infuriating to watch. The the Quickly Hardenstein thing is especially frustrating because Quickly Quickly is our best pocket passer. Quickly is the best pocket passer on the Knicks, and neither Sims nor Mitch can do much on the short roll. Um, I do think Sims has some Jared Allen potential, maybe not as high as Jared Allen. And I promise I'm not just, you know, confusing that or, or uh, making an analogy then because of the froze, but um, I, Sims, I can see getting to a place where he catches the ball on the roll, you know, six, seven feet from the basket and can like, yeah, we, we've seen dribble, him, we've seen him do it. Dribble, pivot, shoot a jump hook. I can see all those things from him, but he's not there yet. And I think one of the most intriguing things about signing Hardenstein was finally having someone who could do stuff on the short roll. And he's just incredibly timid and passive on the short roll. And it's very frustrating. Um, he doesn't timid, timid and passive is a really good nickname for Isaiah Hardenstein. <laughs> he, there's just so many times when you can see quickly, as you said earlier, holding the pocket open or, you know, the pocket's right there. And he just, they mistime the role. They just have no chemistry on, on that play or that action. And it wouldn't be such a big deal if that wasn't such a big part of the Knicks offense, but it is. And here we are. It's, it's incredible. Well, and it's like, it's like you almost like, it, yes, there are shortcomings to the fact that Sims and uh, Mitch especially don't like hold the pocket in that they don't have that ability, but you know what they they can do? They can be awesome vertical lob threats. So even if they blow by that, there's always that threat that you have to respect as a defense. Uh, even though Mitch blew that fucking lob that quickly threw from that was so ridiculous. Um, Why didn't like, he just grab it? Like he, he went for the one hander, and I mean, obviously it's still a really high percentage look, but that was just that was such a killer. Yeah. Um, but like we've spent so much time talking about Hardenstein, and I do want to say that I think. Both of people brought up like Hartenstein was a killer in the fourth against Dallas. So he was awful in that game. Like, and I actually, I, I'll say this. I, I'm, you know, I don't care. I don't care if I'm killing. I'm going to kill Hartenstein tonight. I thought his performance in that game was disgraceful. Like, I thought it was a disgraceful performance to his teammates. I thought it was insulting to his teammates, to the effort they were putting in. Um, he, he had a, he had a fucking play in that game. Quickly fed it to him at the rim. With Reggie Bullock. Reggie Bullock was underneath the room. And this fucking guy, he, instead of just going up for the... It's a layup. It's a layup. Reggie Bullock, never in a billion years, Reggie Zero Vert Bullock is not blocking that shot. If he's going to do anything, he's going to foul you there. There's no, there's nothing else that's going to happen. He tries to throw some ridiculous like pass out under the... Out, he's, again, he's underneath the basket. But underneath the basket, he tries to throw a kick out to Randall at the top of the key, which gets easily deflected and intercepted. And that play was 
I mean, I, I tweeted it. I tweeted it out. It was ridiculous in real time. It was even more ridiculous. And it's like one of the few times you could literally, as soon as he did that, you see quickly look at him and he's like, just like, just go up. Yeah. Go up. There, like, there was three of them. There was two, the two you, you linked. There was the, the one where he tried to make that stupid pass to Sims. Oh, that was insane. Basket. And then there was one when he actually went up and it was like the weakest layup attempt ever. And it, it was right before the one you just talked about in the second half, he had back-to-back possessions on the short roll. One where he blew a bunny. And then the next one, when he was like afraid to take the bunny and he forced a pass. And a few possessions later, Hardenstein was spacing the corner and they made Sims the screener and quickly probed and they just ignored Hardenstein in the corner and quickly refused to pass to him. Yeah, he took a terrible shot or something like that. I forgot what yeah, quickly ended up taking an awful shot. And I remember just thinking, like, honestly, like, why would he pass you the ball? Like, at this point, like, what, what, like, yes, he should, he, uh, he should have passed him the ball. But I get quickly he's like, enough already like we got to do something you know yeah and it's also like what he's not like some awesome three-point shooting threat from the corner either so who cares like uh you know yeah you're right like he should make that pass the right place to make that pass it's also a situation where like i've seen rj wouldn't make that i brunson wouldn't make that pass they wouldn't they would be like fuck you like no like i'm gonna get a shot up here um but yeah like i i'm just over him like he yeah, like I thought, I really, I really thought his performance against Dallas was disgraceful. Like, and I don't mean that. I I can't say whether it looks like he's always putting in a lot of effort. He's always diving around on the floor and doing all kinds of shit. But like, I don't think he has any comprehension of what actually matters. Like, what he needs to do to actually help the Knicks win basketball games. I think he wants to make passes because he can pass. I think he wants to take shots from the perimeter because he can kind of somewhat maybe a little bit shoot. I think he wants to, you know, he wants to do things, but he doesn't want to do any of the things that the Knicks really need him to do. He doesn't want to box out. He doesn't want to push. He doesn't want God knows he doesn't want to use his fucking body to, to push anybody around. God forbid we ever do we ever do that. So I'm over him. I hope they use him in a trade package. If he like, I think he's a guy you could probably use him to get a him Cam Reddish. Maybe that can get you a decent win. I don't know. That's not a bad little package to offer out there. Like there's there's teams that might be able to, to give you something there. Um, you know, can you like? I'll throw this. Out. Would you do Hartenstein, Reddish, Rose? Today, for Gordon Hayward. Yeah, yeah. Like, well, how many? Wait, how many years does Gordon have left? He has. He expires next year. Like he expires at the end of this year, or at the end of the next year, at the end of next year. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I would do it. I mean, I, I think that's like feasible. I mean, is any, is anybody offering you? real value for Gordon Hayward? I don't think so. Uh, I just don't know what that does for Charlotte. Like they'd have to, they'd have to value Cam Reddish and like want to take a flyer on him, which they they also love not having money. And Rose and Cam Reddish is about 19 million and 20 million in expiring salary. 
Hardenstein, they can easily flip. You know, shit, maybe the Knicks find a third team that just wants Hardenstein and gives Charlotte an expiring in a couple seconds for him or something. You know, who knows? Maybe you can reroute that. But, like, the point being is, I, like they they really have to look at consolidating those pieces. Those are three pieces they have that have like value, but they don't like. I don't know how to explain it. But it's like they have value, but they don't really have value. Like Cam and Rose have value as expiring contracts, effectively, and Cam has value because he's still like a somewhat promising young player. Right? There's still talent there. He's obviously six eight, you know, seven one wingspan has shown strides as a finisher and all that kind of shit this year. Okay, that's not nothing. And Hartenstein is not nothing. Like, he's a guy that you can probably flip to a third team, or if you want to, as Charlotte. Is that a risk for the Knicks? Yeah, absolutely. It's it's definitely a risk. But, like, I think that's a risk worth taking because, you know, we've talked a lot about this here. You know, me and you and on pod, I've talked about Suprez and, and Stacey. The Knicks don't have a lot of like quick decision makers, quick dis- like quick passers, connective passers. Hayward like provides, close, yeah. yeah, like Hayward provides that for yep. real. And I know he's injury prone, but like if you if you can get through this season, right, you're gonna have two first round picks this year. You can bolster your depth with those picks and accommodate for, and you'll have your mid-level exception. Maybe you can sign somebody decent there. Um, like you will have the ability now to bolster your depth behind Hayward to accommodate for the fact that he is guaranteed to miss like thirty-five games in a season. I think it's worth the risk because I think when he's healthy. He's still a good player, and he does things that the Knicks really need. Like, he gives you another playmaker. I actually would, like, we saw this with Burks. Burks is not some amazing playmaker, but he's enough of one that I loved. Like, I thought him and Quickly played great off of each other. They were really, really good off each other. I think Quickly would play really well off of Hayward. And I think that's actually the big thing that bench unit is missing right now is that extra creator. And the way Tibbs has tried to get around that is play him with Art, play RJ with them, or play Brunson with them. But I think this team in general could use an additional creator. And the type of creator that Hayward is, is really useful for them because he's a guy who knows how to create when you need him to, but he's also able to play off of others' usage. So um, that's a guy. And like we know they had interest in him back in 2020 when he was a free agent. We know that. The Knicks were interested in Gordon Hayward. So there's something there. And you know what? Tibbs would be fucking happy. Tibbs would finally be happy. He'd be like, oh my God, you got me a vet that I wanted two years ago. And now he's even older. This is perfect. I've never wanted anything more. Uh, I would do that. I think that's a good idea for them. I know that there are other low-cost wings. You know, you talk about like a Jalen McDaniels, potentially also from Charlotte. Um, I don't know. I know Danny Ainge is out in Utah, like, you know, he's fucking snorting Walter White's meth. Uh, but like, and he wants first round picks for everybody. But like Malik Beasley is an interesting guy. I don't know. I, I And I mean this genuinely. Like, I literally don't know if I would want him or not because he is really an offensively geared scorer and the shooting would be nice. But the defense is rough. He's also not that big. So I don't know. 
how that all works. Hayward has real size on the wing too that I think helps. Um, yeah. So I don't know. Like, what is Beasley? Is he like six four? I think he's like I think he's six four, six five, something like that. Yeah, six four. Um, I, I will say that I do think those those guys interest me with Tibbs specifically more because like Malik Beasley could just be one of those guys who like never was never once taught how to play defense, you know? And <laughs> no, I, like I'm actually being kind no, of no, I, I know, I know. He's just, he's just like a hooper who's really good at scoring, and that's like carried him to the NBA. And like if you combine that with Tibbs being like, "Hey, man, these this is what you do. Like this this I can." I can bring you to a competent defensive level. That's a damn good player. Yeah, I, I mean he's he's a, he's a very interesting. He's also pretty young still. I think he's what, like 25, 26. So he's not old. Um, yeah, he's and, uh, he is twenty six years old. Yeah, and it, it does feel like the Knicks made a conscious choice this offseason to go after like younger veteran types. So I think they. I don't. Like they want to win ball games, but I do think they have an understanding of like we need to be a younger team. So Beasley maybe fits into that. I I just I don't know. I I still just think like there's something with Hayward, with his overall skill set. I it really feels like that is a skill set they need, and they really need it from the wing. Like that's the that's the piece of it that that's that's big with Hayward is like what he provides specifically off the wing is very important. And like, look, he's only a 53 true shooting this year. He's only shooting 32% from three. Is that because his, you know, injuries have taken away his lift and he's just going to be a bad shooter from now on. I don't know. Sample size is pretty small. He's only played, he's only played 500. He's played under 600 minutes going into the season coming into tonight. I don't even know if they played the night, but like, I mean, he's still like has some juice when I've seen him play. I don't know. I, I would, I would definitely roll the dice on him. And like worst case scenario, he's a dead salary on your books, but he's an expiring salary for next year. Like you're talking about now with him and Fournier in that scenario, you'd have about forty-eight million, I think, in expiring salary to throw into a trade potentially down the line. Like that's not. This is like, this is one of those moves where if it sucks, people will be like, oh my God, this is awful. But really, you'd be taking two guys that aren't in the rotation and another guy who I don't think anybody's super keyed on being in the rotation. Uh, like, and taking a chance on Hayward, who you can then parlay as a contract down the line. I, I don't know. I, I, to me, there's something there. I like the, uh, I like the Hayward idea meaningfully more than both the Malik Beasley idea and the Eric Gordon idea we've seen. I, I don't think there's any value in getting a, a, another shooting guard, like a, a shooting guard type player, because I don't think we can get a shooting guard good enough that you'd rather play him than Deuce. If we're going to take Deuce out of the rotation, I think it's to get another wing, like you're saying, like you said. Um so yeah, I, I don't think uh, I, I don't think they should get a shooting guard just to upgrade. I think that would be a mistake for the franchise long term, um, and I don't think it'll move the needle short term at all. Do I think that a wing 
like Gordon Hayward would move the needle short term meaningfully either. No, this is a team probably most certainly is not going to win a championship, but I do think wing depth is valuable and it would definitely move the needle more. And I think that it's just something you need. RJ can't be the only wing on your team. That's just, that's not a thing. Yeah, and I I still include Grimes as a wing, but Grimes is not. He can play the three in a pinch, and he can play the three in certain matchups and stretches. And I think he can do it more often than people often like to claim he can. But, but like, you still need another wing. I mean, like, tonight's an example, right? Do I think that the Spurs made a bunch of bullshit tonight? Yeah, I do. But, like, it's also fair to suggest that, yeah, I mean, we, we, I think me and you both, like, this would have been a perfect time to, to give Cam a chance if that was, a, if that was an option, purely because his size may have deterred some of those shots. Like, that's it. Like, there's, it's not some super deep thing. It's just that simple. So there is a need for more size on the wing, and Hayward would give you more size and genuine size. Like, he's played small ball forward at, at times in his career. So he's a guy who has real wing size. You can play him at the two. You can play him at the three. I think he's more of a three nowadays next to a quicker wing or a couple of guards because he's older now. But, like, you have options with him. And um, I think he gives you good options. Like, uh, like the danger with Hayward, which is not – should be said is with Tibbs as the coach, there's always the danger of Hayward taking two minutes from a guy like Quickly or Grimes or whatever, right? But the upshot is we have seen we've seen Tibbs be comfortable, more comfortable giving quickly initiating reps when he plays with a wing like that. Like I think he viewed Burks in that role. Like he viewed Burks when he played with quickly as a capable second scorer, second initiator, whatever you want to call it. So he was more comfortable letting quick just kind of like be the primary. Um, I think they, and again, like we, like I mentioned, like I really think quickly and Hayward would work really, like, I think they would work really well off each other. They dovetail nicely. So for that reason, I would probably take the chance. And like, I think Hayward would work well. He would work well with RJ. He'd work well with Brunson. I think he'd work well with fucking Randall, you know, uh, like he's a good skilled passer. He's a good all around player. He's got a really good handle for a wing. Um, yeah, I, I would be. I'd be pretty on board with that. Even and I and I part of that reason is also due to the fact that like yeah, I do think it's nice to have we know this front office at some point is going to pull the trigger on a bit major trade. They want to get a star. I do think having him and Fournier at about 48 million in expiring salary next year it's not a bad place to be. Like we know yeah, that Kobe in our chat makes made that point, makes a good point. Uh Adding Hayward, you know, combined with Fournier, like you just said, it opens up, you know, it, if Jalen Brown or Siakam wants out, it op- it opens up, a sp- especially Jalen Brown, who I'm not sure how much longer he wants to be second banana. I think he wants to be like, you know, and who knows if he would be the guy in New York. But I, I think, you know, even just a change of scenery and a chance to play in New York, I, I don't think the idea of Jalen Brown in New York is the craziest thing. Yeah, I mean, it, it might be crazy for him, like crazy, actually crazy. Uh, but yeah, I, I mean, the point though is like, 
I think we know that they want to get a star. Hayward obviously isn't directly going to lead to that because he's obviously he's not a star himself. But there is something to the idea of having that much expiring salary. Like, say whatever you want. And I think we both agree that, like, Danny Ainge pushed the idea of, like, well, shit, if I have to take, oh, if I got to take that Fournier salary, like, wow, I'm going to need so much more in this trade. Like, I think we both agree he pushed that notion out there way more than was true. At the same time, if the Knicks had a, you know, fucking 50 million expiring that they could have tossed into a Mitchell trade, you know, maybe, maybe that would have materially moved the needle because like we know expiring salary, especially for a rebuilding team. If you're trading a star, you're probably looking to rebuild, you know, um, that, that can be a nice thing to have. That can be like, we did this when we traded Porzingis, that was one of the big sells in the trade. I know that was like, it was also, Oh, well, we're going to clear space for KD and Kyrie. But I also think it's, I, I always liked it just in the sense of, well, even if you don't get KD and Kyrie, you still got a clean slate now. Like you, you got a clean deck to like, to, to build from. I think if you're, tra- and if you're trading a star, you want a clean deck, right? You want to clean your slate and build back up again. So I do, I, I do think that that is, has been an underrated part of our front office. Like it, it's been, you know, couple years now and obviously their biggest strength has been their drafting but we're the the Knicks are completely out of jail like there's flexibility and I I I think that they value that over anything um they've made some obviously in hindsight bad contracts but they've structured the contracts in a way that okay they're bad contracts but they're not going to kill you and I think that that's an incredibly valuable thing that we're kind of taking for granted right now and forgetting just how screwed this franchise has been multiple times in the last 15, 20 years. Yeah. Um, it, it's it's definitely they're in a better position. And I don't think, like, I've seen a lot, like, there are a lot of people today that were like, what is the point? What are we doing? There's no hope for the team. And I'm like, I, I'm, I can't, I can't do this. Like, I can't. Five games ago, we were all very bullish. Now, though, there's no hope for the future. I'm sorry, I don't see it that way. Um, but like, yeah, like the the front office is is I, this is what I wanted to get back to because you did mention this. Like, the front office. Look, I, I I do think that there is not there's this very obvious like non-alignment organizationally. Um, there's definitely a group in the front office that wants these young guys to play more. That that is probably pushing some of these signings, right? Like a Hartenstein. Hartenstein's probably like that's a great one to to just talk about because he's like a very stats nerdy type of signing. I can see them having pushed that without consideration of like, well, yes, he put up great numbers, but he's a role player. Is he going to play that role the same way? in New York under Tibbs as he's going to under the Clippers. And maybe they, they don't hit the right notes there. Um, I see a lot of people that are like, I, I get, I, I see this one all the time. Like well, all the Knicks free agent moves aside from Brunson have been terrible. I, I don't agree with that. Like, I don't care what anybody says. The Burks, both the Burks contracts were fucking awesome. Yeah. Uh, he was really good. 
Austin Rivers didn't work out. Guess what? They traded him. They got a second round pick. That turned to Jer- Jericho Sims. I'm fine with that. Like, I don't think. Wait, who didn't work out? I'm sorry. Austin Rivers. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Going back. Uh, the Bullock. The, well, I guess they didn't sign Bullock, so we'll leave that. Uh, Nerland's Noel initial contract. That was a good contract. Then they went two years on him. They shouldn't have done that. That was a bad contract. Like, there's good, there's bad. I don't think they've done anything egregious. I don't think they've done anything that fucks them. And the one that I was very concerned about in terms of, I think, Randall might fuck us. Like, I know that Randall's not perfect, but guess what? I think his trade value is definitely higher now than it was. Like, I, I, I genuinely was of the opinion that there's a, that he might maybe really was untradeable this past offseason. I don't think he's untradeable anymore. They don't. The thing is, is the Randall contract. I think the Randall contract is almost the opposite of the RJ contract. The RJ extension they need to win because they didn't have to do it. They they basically did it at the time because they did. They knew they weren't getting Mitchell. You know, like that. Let's be honest. Like I I, I named my freaking Twitter handle after RJ Barrett. I'm a huge fan, but they didn't do it because like they were like, oh, this is a value contract. They did it because they lost the Mitchell trade and wanted something good to come out of it. And there are plenty of people who wouldn't have given RJ that extension. Um, and really, I think four one hundred seven. Anybody would have done that, right? And I think they would have said, "Okay, earn it, and we'll give you more if you earn it this year." Uh, that could end up looking really dumb or really smart, but whatever the results are, the front office has to live with that. The Randall thing. The one percent of people out there that, for whatever skepticism they had on Randall's, you know, 2020, 2021 season. Good for them. You can't not extend him for that money after that season. I don't care. Like you just, it's just, it's unreasonable to, to not do it. And again, those people who said that they wouldn't have given that extension, they ended up being right. But it's one of the scenarios where I still, even knowing the results of what happened, I think you just have to do it. Um, and so I don't, I don't care that Randall reverted to his 1920 self a little bit in 2021, 20, 22. I don't care that he's probably never going to play as well as he did in 2021. I think you just, that's just a contract that we had to live with. And I mean, and, if anything, and again, like, if, I think if anything looked- the front office should be scolded for not trading him at his peak value 15 games into 2020, 2021. Like, if if you didn't want if you don't want to extend him, then they should have traded him when he was clearly going to be an all star that season. I mean, my, my, I think that he might actually have. Also, look, let Brunson get back. Let's say this. I think I think Brunson comes back. They're going to go on a little run here, right? Let's say Brunson comes back against Houston. They got Houston. They have Phoenix. Phoenix is pretty beat up right now. Booker's out. I know Paul is back. I don't know if anybody's been watching Phoenix. Like, and they they have had a nice little run here. Phoenix, by the way. But like, they Paul does not look anywhere near. Even compared to last year, when he lit a little bit slower, he looks much slower this year. Um, I think there's a chance the Knicks can win that game, and then they have the Spurs at the Garden. I'm, I promise you, RJ will be back for that game. Brunson will play that game. They're going to beat that Spurs. They're going to beat the Spurs by twenty. I um, I thought they were going to beat the Spurs by twenty today. If Brunson played, I think they're going to beat the Spurs by twenty plus hundred percent again. Assuming they have Brunson and RJ back next week, but so let's just say they do, they did win the next three games. Like the perception of Randall right now is tied so much to how the team plays, and that's fine, and I get it. But like, 
I think there's a chance his value is it's pretty solid. Like he's what fifty eight true shooting basically this year. He's about thirty three, thirty four percent from three, maybe higher now. Um, he's giving you what like twenty and ten, whatever the fuck he's giving you. He's playing well, and the bigger thing for me is he's shown he's actually now been willing to play off of Brunson. So, like, a team, if you're trading him because, again, let's just use Phoenix. Let's say Phoenix is like, hey, we're not getting Kevin Durant anymore. That's never going to happen. We need another shot creator. Last year, you would have been like, well, will Randall buy in? Like, will he play? This year, you can incredibly look at that and be like, well, he did play, like, off of Brunson pretty, pretty willingly. I think that there's more teams now that can look at how he's deriving his output and reasonably talk themselves into like, okay, we can see how this might work in our content, like with with our environment, with our team next to the guys that we want to put him next to that didn't exist last year. Because if I was a team last year, I'd have been like, I don't know, man. I don't know if he wants to buy in. Like, I, I don't know. Like this year, I'm like, I look at him and be like, okay, well, he is shooting pretty okay from three and he is playing off of Brunson and he is letting RJ do shit sometimes. Like, I thought a cool thing about the, you know, we talked about the Chicago game, all the negatives, but I thought it was pretty cool. There are a few times Randall, and I, I don't love that it was just to do an ISO, but, like, he went out of his way to get RJ the ball in the fourth I, quarter of that game. Absolutely. I thought his first quarter in that Chicago game was a reversion to his sort of, like, ISO hero ball. Like, it was very clearly the Julius Randall show. And then when he started his second shift in the second quarter – RJ had gotten it going. And from that moment on, he basically made himself a supporting character to RJ. And yeah, he got his touches and he got his shots, but it was the most I've ever seen him deliberately try to enable a teammate and play off him. It was really good to see. I couldn't agree with you more. Yeah. And, and the other part of trading Randall, which Hawkeye 420 brings up here, uh, is like the front office also needs to be willing to trade him. They can't just be like, well, he put last year. We don't know that part. I have no, we don't know that part. I still think that there are scenarios where they trade him. Like, I, I truly believe that. I don't know what those scenarios would be, though. And I don't know if the, the value of that stuff has changed. But, like, I do think that there are scenarios they trade him. Um, will they trade him? I don't know. We'll see. But the contract for sure looks a lot better now than it did at the end of last season or even at the start of this one. Yeah. Um, but uh, I this one is also from Kobe. Probably explains the IQ trade rumors too because he's set to get paid in 2024. Maybe Obi is put on the block instead. I think it would have to be like if they're gonna have to move one. If they feel they have to move one of those guys for cap purposes, I have no idea how you pick Obi over IQ, especially if Randall's. If they plan on Randall still being here, yeah. Like I, I don't. It just it it would make no sense to me. So. We'll see. I don't know. I, I really hope they keep IQ. Um, he's it's going to be really hard to consistently have, even with like Brunson, like the, they're not going to get another guard because Grimes isn't going anywhere and Brunson isn't going anywhere. And Brunson and Grimes, especially Brunson's like fringe, if not lock all-star. And Grimes, you know, will keep on progressing. But Quigley's going to too. And if you have three guys that you're set like at your one and two right. position, that's like, that's where I'm going. If right. quickly wasn't a more versatile player, 
I would totally be behind trading him, especially as he continues to build his value. If he could only be Brunson's backup, okay, his ceiling's capped and he can't do much. But there's a path to him playing 25, 30 in a minutes a game, even if he never starts a, another game healthy with, with a healthy team, because he can play with both Grimes and Brunson. And that is the path to him playing more minutes. Um, so, yeah, I don't, I don't, I think Obi is the guy you, by the way, since they're both restricted, I mean, there's a path to, if they want to pay the luxury tax, if they believe in both of them, there's a path to, you know, getting a free agent and then extending both and just going all in on this core. Yeah, for sure. Um, but yeah, like I, I think you keep those three, that's your guard spot that's set for the next two, three, four years. Obviously trades are always available and like, you would need to be open to them. And if a star comes, like you can't be like, well, we're set at the one and two because we have Brunson Grimes and quickly like, no, you'd be open to that stuff, but you would be able to now focus your efforts on like, okay, do we need to get a better starting small forward than RJ Barrett? Do we need to get a better power forward than Julius Randall? Do we need to like get a better center than Mitchell Robinson? And how do we back those positions up? Like you can focus your efforts elsewhere. And like, in the meantime, you can draft, a point guard or another guard and have them develop like behind the scenes. You don't need to push that guy immediately to step in. So you have the chance to build a player out on your own over time um, in that spot too. So like, yeah, I don't know. I I'm again, if they just trade quickly, just for like some protected first of some kind, that would be so stupid. Um, yeah, if they so this is from Kobe. If they commit to IQ Brunson Grimes, where does that leave RJ? If they want to get a free agent like Siakam or Brown in twenty twenty four, I don't know. They would need to clear cap space, I believe. Twenty twenty five is when there's that major cap spike. I so I don't know how they want to play stuff like. But if you're not making a major move until twenty twenty four, the big thing is that. At that point, a guy like, like for example, Randall, he would have two years left on his contract. He's probably really easy to move then, or at least like a lot more straightforward to move. Mitch would have two years left on his contract, probably pretty easy to move by that point. Like, if you need to create cap space, I think it becomes a lot easier to do. And that's if you want to keep RJ. If you want to trade RJ, that's probably easier to do then too. But like, they have options. I think they just need to like, they really this is the this is a big year for this front office because I'm pretty sure that they have banked a lot of Dolan faith goodwill or whatever you want to call it on hey this team can make the plan and probably qualify for the playoffs. I think they need that to some extent. They they need the plan for sure, I think. So Schwinn, what would you think of let's say I'm gonna use the Jalen Brown name again. Well, let's say they found a trade for Randall and they were looking into Jalen Brown. Do you think that Brunson, Grimes, RJ, Jalen Brown, not for Tibbs, obviously, but do you think that would be a viable start uh, front, uh, first four? Or do you think RJ is too small and he can't be the Tatum power forward? I don't think he can be the Tatum power forward. Um, but if you get Jalen Brown, like now you have the option of like, hey, do we want to – which, who do we like more between Grimes and RJ? Or maybe Grimes hasn't taken the step that we think he can take and he'd be comfortable and maybe even 
successful and happy being a well-paid reserve wing for the Knicks. You know, like, who knows? But they're, like, don't, look, that would be a great problem to have. <laughs> so yeah. uh, I hope the Knicks have those problems. That would be great. I would be very, very happy. Um, I don't know. Is there anything you want to talk about before we get out of here, Jeff? No, I think, uh, I mean, I think we covered the games, we covered the, I mean, not to pat, I think we did a great job, man, you know? <laughs> it's been a rough week. It's been an emotional week. I think that Dallas loss took a lot out of, I needed like a day after that. I didn't watch any basketball yesterday, like literally not a second of basketball yesterday. I have not watched any basketball today other than the Knicks game, and I'm probably not going to watch any basketball tomorrow. Um, after- was, it was just shocking, man. Like, it was just... It's just you don't experience. I mean, I know you said you said on the uh, on the timeline you said you know your the Bills Chiefs experience sort of prepared you for that. But like, if I recall correctly, didn't you like tweet something after the Bills scored that touchdown? Like, weren't you like Mahomes can still do this? Like, or didn't you? Weren't you I mean, kind of already I, prepared? I might have. I look. That's the, the thing is like, look that loss. The Dallas loss sucked, and I'm not gonna act like it didn't suck a lot because it sucked a lot. It was fucking devastating. But, like, at the end of the day, regular season NBA losses, they just are not going to hit the same as a fuck. Like, that 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 will never... No fucking regular season Knicks loss is ever going to touch that. Like, they could blow a 35-point lead in two minutes to, like, a team that had fucking prime Reggie Miller, prime Michael Jordan... Prime Alonzo Mourning, Prime PJ Brown, like all of the fucking guys I hated growing up, and they could they could lose that in a regular season game, and I would not care. I would I would care, but I would be like that does not compare. It will never compare to losing. I don't care. Like I think if the Bills win that game, they win the Super Bowl. That's what I thought at the time. I don't care if the Bengals pull. Like the Bengals are actually really really good now. Like they are very legitimate Super Bowl contender. I thought last year the Bills and the Chiefs were clearly the two best teams in the league. I don't care that the Bengals fluked out a uh, comeback win against Kansas City because they did a three-man rush that somehow Andy Reid couldn't figure out for an entire second half of the game. But, like, like those are the two best teams. I will go to my grave believing that the Bills win the Super Bowl if they win that game. And hopefully I don't have to think about that going to my grave because they will hopefully one day win a Super Bowl. But until that day... I will tell you that until the day I die, I will believe that. So that's how devastating that loss was in comparison to a loss that I'll probably always remember, but at some point we'll be like, well, yeah. That was, so, that was so, so before before we go, um, on the post game to uh, Tuesday after Dallas, I said to Sam that I thought the Knicks would be betting favorites in nine of the next eleven games. And I thought the Knicks had to go seven and four or better, or changes would be on the horizon. So here are the next ten games. They're now on one, obviously. We've got at Houston, got versus the Suns, versus San Antonio, at Toronto, versus the Bucks, versus Indiana, at Washington, at Detroit, versus Toronto, versus Washington. What do you project for those ten games? And what do you think the like if if the worst happens? Do you think there could be some serious like oh shit we're we're gonna 
what Woj bombs galore. What do you think? What? How do you think this plays out? Uh, what, what was it? It was okay. So the Houston next. I'm just gonna say Brunson comes back. They win that. Yeah. So I think they beat Phoenix. I think RJ might be back for that Phoenix game. When is that? Monday. So that would. So be... I think he'll be back, San Antonio. I think the San Antonio. Okay. Game. Okay. I still think they have. They'll beat. I think they'll. They haven't beaten the Suns in forever. I think they're due. I think they beat the Suns. Uh, okay. They beat the Spurs. So that's three. That's three in a row, and then okay, they've got at Toronto. I, I still hate that matchup for us because it Julius doesn't box out, and that's a really big problem against Toronto. Like, and I, that's not. I really, I don't want to boil it down to one guy, but I think his not boxing out trickles down more against a team like Toronto that crashes the glass so fucking hard with all these lengthy ass fucking dudes. I think it's a big problem for us. I think we lose that game. That's why you just stick him on Siakam. <laughs> like, you force Randall to engage. You let him take that matchup personally, and Siakam's going to carry a high usage. Randall's boxing out doesn't hurt you as much, and then you let the other guys focus on the rebounds, or at least the boxing out, and Randall can, you know, do his contest and then turn around and be, be ready for open rebounds. I don't like, like cross-matching the way – as. Because Tibbs is usually so straight up, but he, for whatever reason, he doesn't seem to understand that Randall is at his best defensively when he's forced to engage. I think he's just trying to save him. Yeah, that's what that's is. reasonable. All right, so we got three and one. Um, Bucks and Pacers at home Monday and Wednesday. I think we got a split four and two. Okay, uh, at Washington at Detroit Friday and Sunday. Win both. And then versus Toronto and versus Washington Monday and Wednesday. Wow, no back to backs during this ten game stretch. Yeah, cool. we just play every other day forever. Yeah. Uh, versus Washington and versus Toronto. Yep, those are both at home. Mm-hmm. I think. I think we. I'm gonna call. I think we win both. That's fine. Fuck it. So that's seven and zero, oh, seven and two. So you got us going eight and two. Yeah, I'm calling it right now. Next, going to go eight and two in the next ten. Eight and two. So do you think? So you know, through through two whatever weeks from now, or through two and a half weeks from now, we're sitting at twenty six and twenty. Do you think that is like the front office starts being like, okay, like this is a playoff team, we got to find a wing upgrade, or do you think like, do you think they're going to wait until all the way to the trade deadline? I think they'll wait, unless some unless it. it I don't think they have any. They will pull the trigger on a trade if they if they think there's a trade to worth pulling the trigger on. They have not struck me, and they have neither of their in season trades, their main in season trades, have happened just at the deadline. They've actually pulled the trigger on Derrick Rose and obviously Cam Reddish last year, well before the deadline. Um, the one deadline trade they did make was dumping Austin Rivers, but that was a dump, right? That was just like a guy that wasn't in the rotation get something for him, move on. I don't know if they can. They might do dumps later on, but like if they're trying to make an upgrade, I think they want to get that in sooner rather than later. So we'll see what if something opens up for them, I think they'll pull the trigger. All right. I will say if if this stretch goes really bad though, look, Ian Begley reported early in the season that like it wasn't just Tibbs that would be on the hot seat. Um I know that people get really nervous when that comes out. 
but I will say, like, in the past, the last few times that Dolan has cleaned house in the front office, along with the coaching staff, it hasn't been like, okay, now we're just going to trade everybody. Um, it's usually been, like, a lot more patient. Like, Leon came in, they didn't clean house in terms of, like, the playing staff, right? They kept a lot of those guys. And they didn't just trade everybody at that deadline. The only guy they traded was Marcus Morris. Uh, when they fired Phil, they kept a lot of those players. Like when they fired Mills and Perry, they didn't clean house. We're like, I don't think he's the guy anymore who just like fires guys and then everybody starts getting traded. Like that's just not how it's worked for a while. So to me, if that happened, you're almost looking at a scenario where it's even more likely that um, the guys we have here are largely the same going into the offseason. But obviously, your coach and your front office might be totally different. So we'll see. I, I, I would like to believe that he'd give the front office at least one more year yeah. and another shot. But I, I don't know. I don't know that, obviously. So we'll see. Um, all right. Do you, do you, do you think, uh, sorry, last no, question, ahead, I promise. Do yep. you think, do you think quickly has played himself out of the trade conversation or into a more serious one? It's hard to know. Um, this, let's see how long RJ's out and then let's see when we have a full rotation. If Tibbs, if Tibbs finds more minutes for him, because at this point, I don't. The cat's kind of out of the bag here. Like, I know he didn't shoot well against Dallas, but what did he have in the game? Thirteen and fifteen. He had thirty-six. Yeah, he had fifteen assists and one turnover, and the one yeah. turnover wasn't a real turnover. <laughs> yeah, and he had thirty-six, seven, and seven. Yeah, right? like going back to last year when he actually started, and he had the other start he had was against Toronto. He shot lights out in that game. Um, he's. He played well in his one start at the end of last year. He had a triple double in that one. It was uh, two, right? Didn't didn't he have back to back triple double or back to back huge games at Washington and then versus the Raptors? Yeah, but he didn't start against Washington. Oh, okay. uh, and then you like so of course you didn't. Yeah, but it's like that's like I look obviously four games is not a massive sample size, but okay, he's played well. So when he gets full rotation back, I still think he needs to play at least twenty five minutes a night. Yeah. And the people that will like sit there and be like, well, how can you expect that? RJ gets minutes, Brunson gets if there's we don't have a backup three. Like, so <laughs> Grimes is the backup three, as well as the starting two. Brunson plays the one only. Quickly is the backup one and a backup two. Deuce is like eat some minutes up at the one and two guy. Like, there should be more than enough minutes. There's more than enough opportunity there that IQ should always play 25 minutes a night. He has to play 25 minutes a night. If Tibbs does that, does it consistently, um, that might, after this stretch where, you know, quickly is playing because he's being pressed into into doing so because of injuries, if that happens, then I do believe there's a chance that um, quickly may have played and may play himself into, like, that he doesn't get traded now just because. The Knicks don't want to pay him, but it's like, well, oh, maybe quickly unlocks the door. He's a conduit to getting a player of a higher caliber um, that you didn't have access to before. I don't know if that's true or not, 
just saying I think that's the opportunity you have. I don't think just based on these two games, though, that his trade market would have drastically changed. I, I'm I am surprised that like and maybe maybe they are and we just don't know it. I'm surprised there's not a team who is like bad and has a hole at point guard that isn't just throwing something at the Knicks like you know a useful wing and picks and just like let's spend the rest of the season seeing like what starting point guard Emmanuel quickly does for this team. You know, I just think it's a it's it's hard to go to your owner and everything you do right. You have to run by your owner, and that obviously is you putting some level of risk on your own name. Like I think it's hard, even if all of the data and all of your nerds are saying this, I think it's hard to be like, hey, Mr. Owner X, we want to trade this useful player plus a couple of firsts or something to take a chance on Emmanuel quickly, who <laughs> averages... 11 points per game, whatever the fuck it is. Yeah. Like, I, it's, we will all, like, it's easier for us to be like, well, just look at the data. It's telling you this. But I, I get it. Like, I know when, when you're in that situation, it is a lot harder to, to take that risk. So, um, yeah, I don't know. We'll see. All right. That is our pod for today. Hope everybody enjoyed this little crossover version of Pod Strickland and the Run Dot Down. Jeff, let the people know where they can find you and plug anything that you would like to plug. Um, Frank Barrett eleven nine on Twitter. Um, hey, I'm doing the recap tonight. Fun. I always get to write fun stuff for this uh this site. Uh, I was actually on duty for the Mavericks one, and Alex uh messaged me and was like, you know, late Christmas present. Miranda did a one word recap. You're good. You don't have to do this. <laughs> so I guess I'm. I guess I guess the gods decided to give me another one. Um, yeah. I mean, I'm I'll always plugged to Strickland. Uh, I love being a part of it. I love everything we do. Uh, rock this merchandise. I got to get some new merchandise. I've had this one for too long, but we've got a bunch of sweet shit over there. Um, so yeah, just keep checking it out. We got a Patreon. We got um, our discords always popping. If you're a Patreon member, we're always talking about the Knicks and other stuff. Just a lot of good stuff. If you love the Knicks and you want to find a community, I can't imagine there's a much better community. So yeah, just plug the Strickland. Uh, I, too, will plug the Strickland. I will plug all the work that's being done. Draft Strickland, Pot Strickland, Run.Down, articles, uh, the mailbags, all that stuff. Everything's great. The Discord, thanks to all the patrons that are participating in it and to make it what it is. All right. That is our pod for today. I hope everybody enjoyed it. I hope the Knicks win a basketball game again soon. That would be very nice. They have one more game before 2022 is over. So let's finish 2022 with a win. Um, again, that is our pod for today. I hope everybody has a great weekend. I hope everybody has a safe weekend. Don't do anything too crazy, uh, kids and adults out there, but definitely have fun. Uh, again, that is our pod for today, and I'll see everybody on Monday.
You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.